I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 To the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. My feet taste good because I put my feet in my mouth a lot. Bionic. Another intro I didn't anticipate. Well, you know. That's, that's uh, but you're going to be explaining that to us, right? Indeed. indeed uh, ladies saying. and gentlemen, it's good to be back with you for another <laughs> week of the Future Quake Show. Uh, you know, never are two the same. Um, we, mitch, we make them up one batch at a time on Future Quake. Yep. So Some people the, say they broke the mold when they uh, made the show. I, I maintain that they broke the mold while they were making the show. Some <laughs> of it poured out onto the yeah. cutting floor. Well, the mold breaking was by popular demand. Usually it was yeah. people with pitchforks yeah. breaking the mold. Yeah, hit it with a ball bat and it yeah. spilled out onto the... While well, they're trying to break us. Yeah. Um, well, in allusion to your... Uh, Mm-hmm. Comment. Is there something that you wanted to indeed, say to get indeed. This behind us? Yeah. Well, I'll get it all. I'll get it all out there. I actually, uh, I actually said some stuff about a really great brother in the Lord that uh, I really wish I could have took back, mm-hmm. and it got back to him, and uh, we talked, and he extended great grace to mm-hmm. me. I said, you know, he was he was kind of angry. We talked for a little while, and I said, you know what, you are my friend, and uh, you know, I'll just you don't have to take the apology or not or anything, but I'm just going to apologize publicly to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he said, "If you do that, I will never remember what what you said mm-hmm. ever again, and it will be as if it didn't happen." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this is me apologizing to uh, to Brother Lynn uh, for all that stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, and um, you know, just yeah, I'm just apologizing for the whole thing. Okay. So, uh, Brother Lynn, out there, you're apologizing to him. Indeed. And, uh, you know, it's hard to relate because I know me and probably the rest of our listeners have never been in a situation like that where we said something we regretted, but mm-hmm. we'll just have to use our imagination. Well, I, I've had a lot of, th- I've had a lot of, uh, practice here doing on yeah. Future Quake and nearly, yeah. nearly everything that I say. So you've learned regret. from the master here. <laughs> you know, if I would think every time I said something, I wish I could take back. Uh. Most of the time it's from people who I really do respect and admire and it was in the heat of passion. Uh, That's always how it is. I didn't want to offend the guy. You know, I don't know where that came from. It's like, you know, I did the walking and I was like, wow. I can tell you one, I can tell you one easy way not to do it is to not care about anything and to not to be impassioned about issues and problems and things and Mm -hmm. just like go with the crowd and just disappear in the crowd. You'll never make that mistake if you never open your mouth and never say anything. Well, I'll tell you what, it's time for me to start watching daytime TV. Well, you know, I mean, that's the one way to, to keep from making mistakes is to not get engaged. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you agree with me that uh, it's it, w- once you realize that's not what we're called to do, you can't do that. So mm-hmm. there are going to be times like this where every one of us, including all our listeners, say stuff we wish we hadn't said. I know mm-hmm. I've said that in emails to people. Not only things I've said on the show, but things in emails back to people that I, I wasn't showing a lot of grace to. Yeah. Or I was short-sighted. Or they said to me. Well, that's always way. the thing, man. Isn't it funny? You know? It's like we all we all could just use a big dose of just relax. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, uh, and all of us, you know, that are... Christians, mm-hmm. you know, brethren of the Lord, we always carry the name around of Christ while we're doing it. Well, I'll tell you, the great... So, you know, the people we need to apologize to, particularly is Jesus, every <laughs> one of us, because yeah, I know. 
we you know I just, we all I just talk about our Jesus. relationship yep. with, yep. with our relationship with Jesus, and then we do very unJesus things. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. And I'm yeah. Not only when I'm awake that. or breathing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I'm the same way. So, um, you know what what you what you said and what you've done is um, things that are healing for communities. Well, people. I'll tell you what was most healing was the whole thing is we talked a little more, and he said, you know what, let's pray. So we prayed about it, and he said, all right. I don't remember it anymore, and I'll tell you what, man, I love you like a brother, and I'll talk to you later. That's what he said. Yeah, call me when you need me. And so it was like, wow, that's pretty. So did you all give it to Heave Ho and that sea of forgetfulness um, where, where God puts all of his remembrance what? of our sins? What are you talking about? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so it's working. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, uh, ladies and gentlemen, while we're on that topic, if there's ever anything that you want to get off your respective chest out mm-hmm. there, uh, someone that you would like to say, hey, I... I, I was short-sighted with somebody mm-hmm. or didn't say whatever, mm-hmm. and you want to let it be known, mm-hmm. feel free to drop us an email. That'd be interesting. And we'll read it. Yeah. You know, if you'd like to say, look, uh, you know, we'll if, read if it. you want to give your, just your first your name house or whatever you want to do, no, no, no. <laughs> but if you want to just, if you feel the urge from the Lord, say, I'd like to go on the record and say, I was wrong about this person. Uh, we certainly like yeah. to be a forum to do that. And, I used to uh, think you were a Luciferian, Tom <laughs> Well... But you're not yeah, now. Yeah. I'm convinced you're not. You, you know that I've been accused of that. <laughs> I know. I know. That's kind of why I brought it up. Yeah. Probably won't be the oh, last time. Although, although technically it wasn't. It wasn't that you were a Luciferian. They just said they were sure you weren't now. Yeah. Which I guess is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they're sure. I'll take it. Take yep. it for that. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, thanks for sharing that with us, brother Tom. And again, that probably the repercussions of that can do a whole lot more good than what we've done in six years of future quake. Well, I hope so. Of all of our rattling on, you know, and blathering. I hope so, stuff. because sometimes I feel like I haven't done a darn thing, you know? Yeah, that's not what the emails say. <laughs> he still owes me money. I well, know what he's done. But, um, can, can I make some quick announcements? Yeah, hit us. And uh, well, speaking of somebody else I spoke poorly of, probably I owe Merv like a couple hundred thousand, mm-hmm. you know, apologies for... Every time we end the He's show, a disembodied or head. I mean, come on. <clears throat> well, but even amongst the full-bodied people, like uh, Andrew Hoffman, you know, I have spoken ill of him because he started this trend where we would read the names of people who bought our two-book set. Uh oh. Which, by the way, they're still at futurequake.com. If you go on the front, get them. That's uh, a big announcement. You can get the yeah. New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, a Christian perspective, and uh, Lies Our Government Told You two-book set. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, uh, I think he promised on air that we would read the names of the people as they bought them. Mm-hmm. So um, since he's got me in the middle of that, since this week, uh, we have Alvin in Iowa, uh, Frank in Australia, Peter in Texas, uh, Maria in Massachusetts uh, were our additional um, people who've got the two-book set. So Wow. Yeah. And they're probably thrilled with all of the fame that they've gotten from that. Hmm. And uh, our the frightening book that's available on the front of futurequake.com, um, uh, we had uh, Adrian um, bought a, one of those books this week, and so did Vladimir. So I figured I might as well throw them in because I didn't want them to be short-sighted, even though people have been getting that book for a while. So thanks. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is thank you for supporting our ministry. Mm-hmm. And as far as straight-up donations... Um, Paul, our, our friend Paul out there, made a donation to our ministry this week. And uh, I don't want to forget some of our prior donations over the last few weeks to Chris and Karen mm-hmm. and uh, Maria and David mm-hmm. and Susan and uh, Andrew. Was that, is that Maria, uh, 
who wrote in last week or two weeks ago. Uh-huh. One yeah. of the Marias. Those are two different Marias. Yeah, one she, of wrote, actually, she actually wrote me at the uh, sleep paralysis thing. Did she really? Yeah, I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. She wanted yeah. to... She wanted to Engage me with about something I said, and I was like, "Oh, hey, look at that!" Yeah, it took yeah. the time to like find me, and you know, yeah. well, you know, some of the best gifts these people give are their emails, uh, it, which truly. we will read. I mean, they yeah. are really fascinating emails mm-hmm. uh, that we'll try to get through some of the end of the show. But I want to thank everybody for all your support, mm-hmm. and I tell you what, we also appreciate your support. Uh, whether you hit our donate button or buy the books or whatever, that just pays our expenses. That's all that's for is to cover what we do here, mm-hmm. but. um is um, when you tell other people about Future Quake, uh, or even just bring up mm-hmm. some of the issues we talk about, like uh, go on some of these message boards, Christian ones, particularly ones that aren't used to what we talk about here. Mm-hmm. And we always use the metaphor, you know, throw the grenade under the tent. Yeah, uh, just throw one of these titles right. under there and just FQ see the melee. Just roll it. Yeah, <laughs> roll just it see under the there. melee that happens yeah. in some of the more show sixty four stri- under the <laughs> straightforward <laughs> Christian prophecy forms. tent. So that's something you all can do to expand our reach. Mm-hmm. is to just sort of seek out some of these places, real straight-laced places where Christians hang out mm-hmm. on the line and mention something strange you heard on Future Quake and put a link in there mm-hmm. and see how people respond to it. They they may burn effigies of you as well as us on there. but You know, the most it, it's interesting we're talking about that. It reminds me of a caller that I heard on uh, uh, a, a guest that we've had on the show before, Alex Jones, you know, does a lot of radio, and he had mm-hmm. a guest on. And uh, uh, it was this it was this older retired gentleman who had been uh, that Alex knew for I guess mm-hmm. knew for a long time. He said, Alex, it's uh, it's Ed from uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, my gosh, how you doing, man? We haven't talked in years. And mm-hmm. uh, he ended up saying, oh, I'm still doing what I'm doing, standing on the street corner, burning your DVDs, handing them out to people and, you know, talking about Jesus to him. Really? He and, said that? Yeah. And and uh, I was like. This is an odd phone call. Phone call. Yeah. And he just, he said, uh, Alex said something like, I don't know how, you know, I've known this guy for a while. Uh, you know, just tell him what you, what you do. And he told yeah. him, he said, you know, and he said, how many, how many of those things have you sent, have you given out? And he says, probably like a thousand. Yeah. And I thought, man, that's, that's cool. Reaching I hope that happens with people. Future Quake. You know, somebody, yeah. we talk 10 years from now and it's like Johnny the Longshoreman standing out on the street corner of Portland handing people audio CDs of Future Quake, mm-hmm. you know. Of course, he's got... Here's show 64! <laughs> yeah, he's got iron shows to hand out. That's true. But, you know, uh, our responsibility is to have some kind of content for him to hand out mm-hmm. rather than us blathering. So we probably need to get into some actual well, content here. that's true. And by the way, just to remind everybody on our on our format as it is right now, um, to, to maintain our sanity and to try to keep some standards up, we're just doing our, our interviews, at least our book-related interviews, once mm-hmm. a month. So um, the first week of the month, we'll have another one coming up here that I think you'll find very interesting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people like our new segments, like what we're doing tonight. A lot of people like the interviews. They're both still here to stay. Mm-hmm. We just try to proportion them out. But we've got more news than we can handle. I yeah. say we jump into it. What do you say? I say that's a good idea. I guess get your story, but I forgot. Uh, we're coming up now on the 26th. Yeah, man. at five central mm-hmm. time, we're going to do our our there, prayer thing. Um, you, you and I are going to be praying in front of the National Religious Broadcasters. Brother Chris meeting. will be there. I think Brother Robert Chris, will be there. Chris White, Robert yeah. Hyde are going to be joining us uh, on site, and it's going to be cool. A few other friends, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but what we'd like you all to do, if you cannot come to the Opry Mills parking lot uh, right there at Opryland, uh, we'd love for you to stand with us and pray with us. 
mm-hmm. if you can come on Saturday the 26th. If you can't, if you could pray wherever you are. Mm-hmm. I will be there at 5 o'clock Central not, Time. Not against us. Hopefully not <laughs> against us. There may be some people somewhere doing that, but we'd like you on our side. Yeah. Uh, if you wonder what we're praying about for our Christian leadership and uh, for our media uh, people in the Christian mm-hmm. world in America, uh, you can read the prayer. It's on the front of futurequake.com on the left-hand side, as well as a little press release about what we're doing and also some logistical data if you can come. Uh, in any case, we'd like for you to uh, to be with us. I believe I saw an email, and I need to confirm this, that uh, we'll make an announcement on the front of Future Quake. But I believe one of our friends on the Revelation Radio Network, who I need to confirm with, may be doing the simulcast. It uh, looks like uh, Derek Gilbert will not be able to do the okay. conflict. Are we talking about uh, a Canadian gentleman? Uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's uh I think he might be out. I okay. talked to him last night. He wanted a call and he's got a wedding to go to. Well, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to bring into this. Yeah, you know. Th- this is this sounds like the the parable that Jesus had. Um I think um well, let let, let me check into it. Keep an eye on Future Quake for uh further announcements on that, but I believe we're going to have um some possibility that that'll be covered. So just keep keep in touch with us, and uh, hopefully we'll have something uh, on there in that case. So, um, other announcements: We've got the Politics of Religion conference coming up. Man, that's going to be that's you're, gonna be, you're working really hard on this. Uh, man, I have gotten so little sleep in the last three days. I, it's like mm-hmm. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to have my own conference. Just call it Tom Bionics and Nine Hours with uh, False Flag Operations, and just do a nine hour. Nine hours? Okay, yeah. And you know what? Everybody would be on the edge of their seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. You would even have to have rest breaks for people. It would just go straight through. 45 minutes, everybody. You go go out and stretch. You know, we're going to be back here. i got some more footage to show you of a, you know, Kurska class uh, 50s Mirage strafing a uh, American ship. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you need to come to the Politics of Religion conference. Uh, go to polit- thepoliticsofreligion.com. Um, in Fort Wayne, April mm-hmm. 1st and 2nd, mm-hmm. you, me, Chris White, um, Chris Pinto, mm-hmm. uh, who else? Uh, Russ Dizdar. Russ Dizdar. Uh, Andrew Hoffman. Andrew Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, it's going to be got, quite a time. Future Mobile will be there. Double Chris's in a Hoffa. I mean, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and I'll be, uh, I'm working on one too that's, uh, it'll be a big mess too, big stink. Uh, from that. So if you want to hear something then different than your average mm-hmm. conference, please come to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, keep an eye on the front of futurequake.com for announcement if you'd like to follow simulcast via radio, our prayer event. Mm-hmm. But anywhere you are, if you can pray with us then or as soon as that time, we'd appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Jesus will know what you're up to, and and he'll he'll get the message that we are serious. Word up. So, anyway, on to our stories. All right, man. Why don't you go first? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll read a brief one then. How about that? Okay. Okay. And you know what? We read so much doom and gloom stuff that uh, I'm going to start with something on a positive vein. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're not normally known for that. Uh, and this is something related to having hope uh, for our younger generation. You know, you and I have, uh, you know, have uh, lamented the fact that a lot of our older generation people sort of get stuck in this Cold War duality kind of thing, mm-hmm. where it's always us versus them, it's that political party or us or that ideology or us, and they can't realize that sometimes bad guys control both sides. They just mm-hmm. can't get work through that. 
but the younger people, there is hope for them if we can keep mm-hmm. this world going long enough, and particularly in the church. Well, this is a classic case of it. And if all things, uh, I saw this on a site um, called Right Wing Watch, which is people from a liberal bent, but a lot of times they still have important things to say that gets neglected by sometimes fellow conservative people. Mm-hmm. So uh, the the title of this article was AFA, which is American Family Association, AFA blogger rejects Fisher's latest bigoted statement. Um, and, and this is just their summary. So this is sort of a, a left version's summary of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I can maybe elaborate. It says, uh, from their view, we have often asked if someone, anyone, would be willing to stand up to Brian Fisher and his unrelenting bigotry and answer has always been no. As leading Republicans and presidential continues have continued to embrace him despite his outrageous views and offensive comments. Hmm. He comes up a lot in the Dominionist circles, Brian and, Fisher. And, and how, how old is the gentleman writing this again? Well, we're, we're getting there. But Brian Fisher is an older guy who has a lot of clout in America, okay? Just yesterday, Fisher declared that Native Americans were, quote, morally disqualified, unquote, from, That's horrible. from controlling North America and are plagued by poverty and alcohol, alcoholism today because they refuse to embrace Christianity. Um, that's crazy. That's sort of that's like, like crazy to me, talk. like the Pharisees saying this man is crippled. Who sinned, him or his parents? Remember yeah. when they told Jesus exactly. that? Exactly, yeah. Um, it says, this sort of claim is nothing new from the likes of Fisher. Now, you know, this is the stuff that causes the heathen to rage, mm-hmm. you know. This is the stuff that gives them mm-hmm. ammunition. Mm-hmm. Does this sort of claim is nothing new from the likes of Fisher, so we didn't really expect him, anyone on the right so much as to blank an eye, much less actually stand up to him, which is sad commentary. Okay, And it says, we certainly didn't expect that someone did actually do so. It would be another, yeah, if they did, that it would be another American Family Association blogger and radio personality, but that is exactly what has happened. Elijah Friedman is a 17-year-old high school senior who writes The Millennial Perspective for the AFA's RightlyConcerned.com blog and appears twice a week to deliver commentary on the Matt Friedman Show Hmm. on American Family Radio. Mm -hmm. And today, much to Friedman's credit, he put up a post on the AFA blog rejecting and distancing himself from Fisher's bigotry. Okay, here's what he said in his blog. He says, Native Americans were immoral... So they deserve what happened to them? I find the idea repulsive. And this is the 17-year-old responding to this national figure. Okay, <laughs> it's awesome. He says, you know, this is a young man who has access to the AFA mm-hmm. okay, portal there, you know, yeah. because he has a show on there. He says, yesterday Brian Fisher posted on a blog about how American Indians disqualified themselves from any claim to land in America by their sexual immorality and violence. He says, I want to officially reject and distance myself from that viewpoint. Wow. You can't get much more stark than that. This is a young man taking a stand, okay? That's awesome. He says, in the past, Brian Fisher, when challenged on biblical grounds to smite the enemy, has refused to answer, Mm -hmm. stating that a question like that about the Old Testament should be answered by a Jewish scholar. What? The sudden decision to embrace God's command to destroy the Canaanites, when in the past he has avoided it, is interesting to me. Another point Brian Fisher offers up as a reason for the Indians' expulsion from their lands is their spiritual belief in something other than Jesus. There are many groups throughout history, and even today, who reject Jesus and the influence of Christians. However, that in no way gives Christians the authority to take their land, kill them, 
break our treaties, and force them to live on reservations. It sounds it sounds just like uh, the race theory stuff that we went over with uh, James Bradley, you know. But now the people in the older generation, a lot of them seem like they're okay with that in the Christian leadership. Here's know. a young man who's saying, wait a minute, is, does this seem like Jesus' will uh, to just kill people and take away the land and break treaties? Now, you see, this is what pe- the Muslims are accused of. The Muslims, it teaches that they're allowed to lie to people, to lie and do things like that, but yet... We, we we see Americans throughout their history lie to the Indians and people like that. Constantly. And he gives them a pass. He says, since, as Brian Fisher points out, the United States of America is immoral, using his standards, we deserve to be destroyed. Does that mean uh, uh, we should uh, help our nation's enemies bring judgment on America? Absolutely not. Our mission as Christians is to love. We aren't here to bring or justify judgment. That's God's job. Our duty is to love people, to help others, and to share the gospel of Jesus with everyone around us. Hatred Mm -hmm. paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. That's a 17-year-old young man rebuking a national figure. Well, if they need rebuking, they need rebuking. Uh, to me, that sounded like a 17-year-old Robert Hyde, if you ask me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Would, would you, uh, I don't want to take up our time or stories, would you like to hear just a slight bit more from this young man? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, man. Um, because I, I found it interesting, when I looked more into this, I can uh, pick up and just give you a little bit more. L- l- let me just elaborate a little bit more about Brian Fisher. He just posted this. Now, he's, again, well-regarded in political circles. And uh, he just had one on the Rightly Concerned site. I looked it up today. It says, Pocahontas shows what could have been. Uh, and he talks about Pocahontas actually being kidnapped and held prisoner by um, by English settler, settlers. Mm-hmm. And they did, it, they did it to her as a bargaining chip. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so they kept her so long that she eventually just sort of gave up and became part of their society mm. and became a Christian. And they were using this as a as a positive example. It says she became a follower of Christ, was baptized, and took the Christian name Rebecca. Um, and it says the rotunda of the United States Capitol since 1840, before political correctness began radically distorting American history, has featured a huge mural by uh, John... Uh, where was his name here? I'm sorry. Um by John Chapman, which pictures the Christian baptism of Pocahontas. Um, and it says that she is thought to be the earliest native convert to Christianity hmm. in the English colonies. But they don't mention that she was there in the first place because she was held Daptive. awfully as pr- captive, <laughs> prisoner. Okay? And uh, so anyway, I think, as, as I understand it, she she was married uh, to this John John Rolfe. But I guess he disappeared. Well, and then, then John Smith comes in play. I'll let people read the history mm-hmm. of it. But to me, it really doesn't sort of show the the best example of Christianity. But but he says he says it's arresting to think of how different the history of the American settlement and expansion could have been if the other indigenous people had followed Pocahontas' example. In other words, if we could have corralled them, held them until they cried uncle and became Christians. She not only recognized the superiority of the God whom the colonists worshipped over the gods of her native people, 
as evidence before, because we conquered them. We had better weapons, so therefore God's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, she recognized the superiority, not the perfection, of their culture and adopted its patterns and language as her own. In other words, she, she both converted and assimilated. She became both a Christian and an American. Well, technically an Englishman. She, mel- she uh, melded into European and Christian civilization. This with, is the weirdest thing I've heard yeah, all day. And made, That's not true, but and made her weird. identity as a Christian her primary identity. She was the first manifestation of what became our national slogan, E, pure, e Pluribus Unum. Had other indigenous people followed her example, their assimilation into what became America could have been seamless and bloodless. Sadly, it was not to be. Because they offered resistance to us, obviously. Um, They deserved to kill him. Pocahontas was the Rahab of the American continent. Rahab, you remember, was a Canaanite woman who lived in Jericho. You know, she, you know, um, she she let the spies in and then joined up with them. Um, So it says, alas, not enough of her uh, fellow indigenous peoples were willing to follow in Rebecca's footsteps. And a long and sordid trail of bloodshed and violence followed which lasted until the turn of the 20th century. You know, that's so regrettable that that bloodshed just happened to happen when we kept chasing them across the field and shooting them in the back. Yeah, I know. You know, you know we made, we made uh, uh, I believe it was at last count, 403 different treaties with the Indians. Uh-huh. And, uh, after Don't tell the, me we broke any of them. We broke every single one. It was a perfect record. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, we're a Christian, Christian history, Christian culture. But in, in, but, in, but, in no conclusion mind. here... Let me just give you a little different taste of uh, of of what uh, this gentleman, Elijah Friedman, this 17-year-old, has been saying, okay, mm-hmm. uh, in his writing. Okay, he wrote on the same blog here. And again, they actually, the, the one I just read a minute ago that I was quoting, mm-hmm. they took it down from their website, even though he has a show. Wow. Supposedly it was taken off. Um, okay, Elijah Friedman, who has the show The Millennial Perspective, again, representing people of millennials, he says... Um, he says, well, actually, this post is in support of Muslims' freedom to have a place of worship. Now, that's counter to the other posters that were on that mm-hmm. website, okay? He says, I've already had my say on the proposed Ground Zero Mosque, so I won't delve into that messy, controversial, but important discussion. I am, however, throwing my support behind religious freedom in this nation. Brian Fisher is calling for no more mosques to be built in America, period. And, as I'm sure... Uh, it's no surprise to regular readers. I respectfully disagree. Mr. Uh, Fisher's case against mosques is based on the thought that each one mosque is a potential uh, uh, jihad recruit and training center. He says, I agree with that statement. Each Boy, and every, he's going yeah. to like what I have to say. Well, he says each and every mosque could potentially, existing in possibility, be a threat. But the fact is the very large majority of mosques don't threaten America's existence or anything for that matter. Mr. Fisher also decries the Grand Jihad, which Andy McCarthy has written about. I must confess that I haven't read the book, but I have read McCarthy's remarks about the Ground Zero Mosque. And from what I've read, he in no way wants to legally stop the construction of the Ground Zero Mosque, nor by extension does he want to circumvent the law to stop the construction of mosque. The final argument presented by Mr. Fisher in opposition to mosque is a statement from 1991 issued by the Muslim Brotherhood. The statement is sobering, scary in fact, but it's important to realize that the Muslim Brotherhood is not synonymous with Islam. Yes, the Muslim Brotherhood is obviously composed of Muslims, but not all Muslims. 
or even the majority, from what I know, as are members of this organization. In fact, the Muslim Brotherhood has even been banned in Egypt. Of course, that may change. Uh, and the Department of Defense has labeled the Muslim Brotherhood in America as a threat organization. So it's not like these are the Muslims next door. The Muslim Brotherhood is an obviously radical organization. Any statement from the Muslim Brotherhood should no way be taken as indicative of Muslims' views in general. I will maintain, as I've done repeatedly in the past, that we absolutely cannot suspend our principles. And in the case of the Constitution, just because we feel like it, if we ignore the legal foundation of our nation, we will be left in a legal quicksand with no protection from the others who want to suspend our freedoms uh, when they feel like it. He says, I would give the devil the benefit of the law if for no other reason than my own safety. So that's a 17-year-old speaking against all of these big national leaders on this forum. And evidently, unbeknownst to me, he's been doing this for some time. And a lot of our listeners may not agree with every point he just made there. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, when we wimp out or we get fed up and we just think, oh, what's worth the effort, you know, Mm -hmm. if we're swimming against the mainstream of some Christian thought in our culture. Mm -hmm. Here's a 17-year-old young man who is not cowed. No. And he's using good, sound judgment based on love. Yeah. It's like really, it's so awesome to see somebody who really gets the gets the uh, philosophical side of the whole thing and is there to just, you know, lay it out there and everybody's, everybody who's, who you would think might be on his team or mm-hmm. be able to lay a nuanced response is shouting him down. You see, his problem was he was born too late. He didn't get the memo of... That that our government, in particular our intelligence agencies, tell us who our enemy is, mm-hmm. and they will tell us how it is. And then we're we as Christians, in America, are supposed to add the spiritual element to reinforce mm-hmm. their policy by coming up with some excuse in the Bible to reinforce what mm-hmm. they told us. Yeah, and he's just saying, well, let's go back to what Jesus said and relook at this. Mm-hmm. So that's Crazy. why they have to take his post down. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if they yank his show. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, maybe we could have him on. See, we don't have to worry about that because we're nobody. So yeah. that nobody has come get us. No, we're over there's there. no ammo. There's yeah, no. we're the Ernest T. Bass of media here and yeah. just running around throwing bricks through windows. <laughs> but no, I heard what you said, though. In fact, that's what I sent him an email. Uh-huh. Not heard back from him this afternoon, but I told him he'd be a great guest to have on our show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to talk to him. By, by the way, speaking of that, uh, had lunch this weekend with Robert Hyde, our regular guest on here in Louisville, and got to see someone that if you all read the Sycamore 3 blog post, mm-hmm. which you need to go to sycamore3.blogspot.com, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Carmack does a lot of posts on there, another very insightful guy of the mm-hmm. Hoffman vein, mm-hmm. and I uh, got to meet him. Yeah. So I feel like I'm like the patriarch of this school of people. I'm like the grumpy old guy. No, that'd be Robert Hyde. I think. <laughs> he... he he dates you by a yeah a little bit by a but he's, he's younger at heart. Hey, that might be true. Sorry about all that. Thought you'd find that no, that was cool. a great great article. Got really a story for us? I do. I have many stories for us that all. This might this might take a little while because it's just so. Well, give us something upbeat because mine's going to be darker than whatever you're going to share with us right now. This oh, next it could one. be the jihadi who helped train seven seven bomber may quote unquote have worked for U.S. intelligence before his arrest, freed. Turns out he's been freed after only serving four and a half years in prison. Whoa! It sounds like something that only somebody who was getting paid off from the inside would have done. Um, gosh, where to start? 
an American jihadist who set up the terrorist training camp where the leader of the 2005 London suicide bombers learned how to manufacture explosives has quietly has been quietly released after serving only four and a half years of a possible 70-year sentence, a Guardian investigation has learned. The unreported sentencing of Mohammed Janaid Babar to time served because of what a New York judge described as exceptional cooperation (laughs) that began even before his arrest. Boy, they're just laying it right out there. Um, over whether Babar was a for, was a U.S. informer at the time he was helped to train the U.S. ringleader of the July 7th tube and bus bombings. Uh, lawyers re- representing the families of victims and survivors of the attack have compared the lenient treatment of Babar to the controversial re- release of the Lockerbie bomber, uh, Abdel Basset al-Magrai. Really butchered that. Sorry, bro. It's a good thing your regular job is an interpreter. Yeah. <laughs> it's very obvious. See, <laughs> senor. Babar was imprisoned in 2004, although final sentencing was deferred after pleading guilty in a New York court to five counts of terrorism. He set up the training camp in Pakistan where Muhammad Sadiq Khan and several other British terrorists learned about bomb making and how to use combat weapons. Babar admitted to being a dangerous terrorist who consorted with some of the highest ranking members of al-Qaeda, providing senior members with money and equipment, running weapons, and planning two attempts to assassinate the former president of Pakistan, General Pervez uh, Musharraf. But in a deal with prosecutors, the U.S. Attorney Office, uh, Babar agreed to plead guilty and become a government supergrass in return for... A, a, a what? A government supergrass. That's just what it says. I'm not sure what that is. Supergrass? Yeah. That sounds like a drug thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, in return for a drastically reduced sentence. Um, The Guardian has obtained a court document which shows that on 10th December last year, six years after his initial arrest and subsequent guilty plea, he was sentenced to time served, quote-unquote, and charged $500 by the court in a special assessment fee. The document also reveals that Babar had had by then spent just over four years in some form of prison and more than two years free on bail. Boom. Um. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll just there's a f- few more things here. Uh, Babar admitted setting up a funding training camps attended by the 7-7 bombers, Tibber said. When the British government released uh, Magrai, the Lockerbie bomber, who received a life sentence on compassionate grounds after eight years, the Americans were furious. Imagine how the bereaved and the survivors will feel about Babar's paltry sentence. Now, here's an interesting one. A remark from the sentencing judge that Babar began cooperating even before his arrest has raised the possibility, supported by other circumstantial evidence obtained by the Guardian, that he may have been an informant for the U.S. government before his detention by the FBI in April 2004. Now, this is a Guardian, a mainstream British paper, Mm -hmm. saying they have certain evidence Mm -hmm. that suggests that he was working, quote, for us, Mm-hmm. Like up to the time that the seven seven bombing happened. Yep. Um, you know that's sort of like the the nine one one bombers that were trained in FBI training schools. Yeah. Trained for flight. Well, boy, get ready for my next little uh, little uh, foray here. Okay. Um, would you like to hear a uh, Would you like to hear some selections from a transcript script uh, from uh, Fox's Dayside program? Okay. Uh, John Lofton was on. Who's a very you know, prominent terrorism expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has CIA background? Yeah, I believe he was, 
like the Middle East desk or something. It might okay. might be co-director or DCI or something. Okay. I can't remember how they okay. parcel out all the all So he was on jobs. Fox News Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so John Loftus, John, uh, John Loftus is at, asked, so real quickly here by Mike Jarek, Jarek, real quickly here, have you heard anything about this uh, Osman Hussein who was just picked up in Rome? You know that name at all? Yeah, all these guys should be going back uh, to an organization called Al-Muhajirun, which means the immigrants. It was the recruiting arm of al-Qaeda in London. They specialized in recruiting kids whose family emigrated to Britain but who had British passports, and they would use them for terrorist work. So a couple of them now have Somali connections. Yeah, it's not, it was not unusual. Somali, Eritrea, the first group, of course, were primarily Pakistani. But what they had in common was that they were all immigrants, immigrant groups in Britain recruited by this al Majur Muhajirun group. Uh, they were headed by the ca- who they call Captain Hook, the imam in London uh, of the Finsbury Mosque without the arm. He was head of that organization. Now his assistant was a guy named Aswat Harun Rashid Aswat. Uh, Aswat, who they picked up. Right, Aswat is believed to be the mastermind of, the, of all the bombings in London. Uh, now this is the guy, Loftus continues, this is the guy, and what's really embarrassing is that the entire British police are out chasing him, and one wing of the British government, MI6, or the British Secret Service, is hiding him. And this has been a real source of contention between the CIA, the Justice Department, and Great Britain. Uh, Jarek says, MI6 has been hiding him. Are you saying that he has been working for them? Oh, I'm not saying. This is what the Muslim Sheikh said in an interview in a British newspaper back in 2001. Working for MI6, <laughs> British intelligence. Uh, Jarek says, so he's a double agent or was? Uh, Loftus says he's a double agent. Uh, Jarek, uh, so he's working for the Brits to try to try to give them information about Al-Qaeda, but in reality he's still an Al-Qaeda operative. Uh, mm, or maybe something else. Uh, Loftus, yeah. The CIA and Israelis are, accusing, uh, are all accused MI6 of letting all these terrorists live in London, not because they were getting Al-Qaeda information, but for appeasement. Mm, that's pretty weak. Uh, it was one of those, you leave us alone, we leave you alone kind of things. Well, the message this gives, along with all the other data we've covered over the years, is not that our intelligence agencies are desperately trying to find out what these terrorists are doing and trying no. to learn so much where they are. What it says is they know exactly who these people are, what they're doing, and if they have to escort them on a plane occasionally, where like the underwear bomber goes off, <coughs> this stuff... Whether whether it's an official SBI guy who's pulling the trigger on these things, or if they're greasing the skids to let them do it, mm-hmm. none of this stuff is not done without the auspices of these. Yeah, I mean, I I could only wish we could say, like the nine one one people, that oh, our intelligence agencies are so incompetent that they totally botched all this and didn't happen. I wish that was true. Yeah, that would be better than what it appears was really true. Is that they completely know what's going on. And they either don't care or there's something even more sinister going on. Well, the only thing is, whether they're actively doing it or or preparing for it, is that they want it to happen Mm -hmm. because they could stop it. Yeah. And that's really really what it gets down to, the nitty-gritty ugly of it. Um, So, uh, Jarek says, well, we left him alone too long then. And Loftus says, absolutely. Now we knew about this guy, Aswat. Back in 1999, he came to America. The Justice Department wanted to indict him in Seattle because him and his buddy were trying to set up a terrorist training school in Oregon. So they indicted his buddy, right? Why didn't they indict him? 
Loftus continues. Well, it comes out, we've just learned that the headquarters of the U.S. Uh, of the U.S. Justice Department ordered the Seattle prosecutors not to touch Aswat. This is back in 1999. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jarek says, hello, now hold on, why? Loftus says, well, apparently Aswat was working for British intelligence. Now Aswat's boss, the one-armed Captain Hook, he gets indicted two years later. So the guy above him and the guy and below him gets indicted, but not Aswat. Now there's a split of opinion within U.S. intelligence. Some people say that the British intelligence fibbed to us. They told us that Aswat was dead, and that's why the New York group dropped the case. That's not what most of the Justice Department thinks. They think that it was just, again, covering up for this very publicly afflicted guy, affiliated guy with Al-Muhajirun. Uh, he was a British intelligence plant. So all of a sudden he disappears. He's in South Africa. We think he's dead. We don't know he's down there. Last month, the South African Secret Service comes across the guy. Turns out he's alive. Jarek. Yeah, now the CIA says, oh, he's alive. Our, our CIA says, oh, okay, let's arrest him. But the Brits say no again, right? Loftus continues. The Brits say no. Now at this point, two weeks ago, the Brits know, know that the CIA wants to get a hold of Haroon. So what happens? He takes off again, goes right to London. He isn't arrested when he lands, and he isn't arrested when he leaves, even though he's on a watch list. Right. He's on the watch list. The only reason he could get away with that was if he was working for British intelligence. He was a wanted man. Jarek. <coughs> Excuse me. And then takes, a day, takes off the day before the bombings, I understand it, Loftus, and goes to Pakistan. Jarek. In Pakistan, they jail him. Uh, Loftus, the Pakistanis arrest him. They jail him. He's released within 24 hours. Back to southern Africa, goes to Zimbabwe, and is arrested in Zambia. Um, so it just goes, it just goes, and then they go to a commercial break. Yeah, this Mike Jarrett guy you're talking about, I know who that guy is. He's about one of the only aggressive interviewers on Fox News Channel. Mm -hmm. I think he used to be a prosecuting attorney. Interesting. And he treats every interview, like I'd hate to be interviewed by him because he's usually like real in your face, intense mm -hmm. kind of guy. Um, but he's putting two and two together on this, obviously. Yeah. One of the few people who actually one. think out loud, and they, they probably got after him for talking out loud too mm -hmm. much afterwards. They probably don't have John Loftus back on too much after I, that. I tell you, it becomes so clear to me. You mm -hmm. can call me a conspiracy theorist, whatever you want. But it becomes so clear to me that these terrorists are just pawns and proxies for these intelligence agencies to get their agenda done and to manipulate mm -hmm. each other. Well, here's a couple of here's a couple of two more um, things that I found out searching for this story yeah. and all this stuff. Uh, here's a little thing. I, sadly, I didn't I didn't I didn't pull the whole thing down. Um, uh, they were talking about talking about this. MSNBC has doubts about the real who the real bombers were. This was back then. Mm -hmm. um, quoting MSNBC tra TV translator Jacob Kiriakis, who said that a copy of the verse of the message was later posted on a secular website. Uh, this is this is mm -hmm. the the claiming of responsibility about yeah. it uh, on a secular website noted that the claim of responsibility contained an error in one of the Quranic verses it cited that suggests that the claim may be phony he said this is not something Al Qaeda would do mm -hmm. right so then you go on and I found uh, another uh, another thing from La Repubblica that's a very reliable mm -hmm. Italian news source mm -hmm. and uh, unfortunately it's an Italian but I found. Uh, I found another place where it was yeah, translated. Translated. Yep. The claim in the name of Al Qaeda regarding today's attack in London, published on, uh, and it gives a website, is not considered credible by Italian intelligence sources, who point out, among other inaccuracies, 
error in a number of Arabic words specifying that even even an Islamic fundamentalist website has stated that credit should not be given to this preposterous claim. Big shame. It's just, it's just a it's, big shame. I, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I hate to. It's just a big shame. And you know who's bit, who's bit into this harder than anybody is the American evangelical community. Mm-hmm. It's been in this harder. Hey, uh, something I want to clarify. You were talking about Babar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled up on the screen a picture of Babar. Is this the one we're talking about that I have up on the, the computer? Babar the elephant? Sadly, no. Okay. <laughs> because he's beloved by children around the world. I, I want to make sure it was not Babar the elephant. I think he was a terrorist double agent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just thought I would confirm that. He could hold lots of C4 in the trunk and behind his ears. Now, you will be speaking more about this kind of stuff at the uh, Politics of Religion Conference, right? Indeed. Indeed. Okay. How are you going to keep it to two hours? I don't know. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to come here. We, we we got old brother Tom here spooled up on some of this, and uh reminds me of about the Revelation 18. Great merchants of the earth, kings of the what, earth, man. conspire me together, too. use their their sorcery to deceive yeah. the nations of the earth. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing I found, by the way. Turns out Netanyahu changed his plans due to a warning that he got yeah. that there was going to be a bombing. And then we also know, of course, that the... The 7-7 bombing, there was a there was a uh, an exercise going on that was the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you know, like Identical. bombs on a bus. Yeah, if you, if you watch a terror storm, mm-hmm. Alex Jones thing, you will see that the exact same scenario on the exact number of buses on the exact same bus stops were planned as part of a a exercise on the day that happened. Yeah. Oh, and I also found out a couple of weeks ago from a really helpful site. I I, I go at cryptogon.com. Yeah. Um, it turns out the London bombers claimed responsibilities, uh, but they claimed it on uh, servers that were connected to the Bush administration. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you, know, you know this thing as far as them having doing an exercise beforehand. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget seeing a picture uh, of an exercise done before 911, and it shows uh, uh, Rumsfeld and uh, Condi Rice, and these other ones looking over the Pentagon with an airplane sticking in the side of it. Of an exercise they did right before 911, chose an airplane f- flying into the outer wing of the Pentagon. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, would you like me to read something to sort of pick things up a little bit, mm-hmm. a little cheerier? Um, now, this, uh, I'm going to tell you where this story came from, so we'll probably hear a lot of people clicking off, if not the channel, at least their ears. This was uh, uh, from Al Jazeera. But um, they reference everything in here extremely well, so I want you to hang with me on this. Um, by the way, when nobody in the media, American media, was down in the crowd in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, Drudge had linked on the front. He has a direct feed from Al Jazeera, mm-hmm. and I watched that because he had a feed directly on it. Mm-hmm. And I found them to have a very grown-up uh, coverage. Sweet. I was surprised. I was expecting people. From what I hear in American media, they were supposed to have scimitars waving in the air and yeah. shouting, <laughs> yeah, no, yelling jihad, you know. Yeah. Never saw that horses once. Horses and camels and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Never saw that once on it. Uh, they actually had people, you know, out in the crowd and stuff getting the word. So mm-hmm. I was, I was a little impressed. Their story here is called Suleiman, the CIA's man in Cairo. Man, that's a bad dude. Suleiman is the him. was the VP in Egypt. 
that the power is being turned over to by the military. Uh, I read that. I, I hate to steal your thunder. Maybe this is mentioned, but at one point, yeah, you're going to steal my thunder now. He offered to like cut off the hands of a bunch of prisoners or something in some country. They flew them in yeah. there, and he said, "Oh, you know, yeah, I'll do it." Okay, let's do the next story. Seriously? Yeah, thanks, bud. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Yeah, Mr. Kildjoy. You okay, can cut off my hand, Suleiman. Yeah, thanks. Just because I don't know your stories, I jump ahead to the. Punchline. Suleiman, a friend of the U.S. and reported torture, has long been touted as a presidential successor. Since on January 29th, Omar Suleiman, Egypt's top spy chief, which he's the head of intelligence, okay? Mm-hmm. Which always the most trustworthy man you can find in any country, including our own, is the head of, of intelligence. Yeah, a guy who uh, lies for a living. Uh-huh. Like, oh, was anointed vice president by tottering dictator Hosni Mubarak. By appointing Suleiman, part of the shakeup of the cabinet... Uh, in an attempt to appease the masses of protesters and retain his own grip on the presidency, Mubarak has once again shown his knack for devilish shrewdness. Now, this is before he resigned in total, okay? Mm-hmm. So, now, uh, you know that the right at the moment that Mubarak agreed to turn it all over to him, he fell over in a coma. Were you aware of that? Yeah. You know no. you know what happens? I've found out. I guess it turns out this is big enough that other people have mentioned it, that typically when people of this caliber... No. Uh, um, do it. They have within days. They have some sort of an immediate death. Yeah. And they suddenly they can't find a body, and nobody ever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know. Ken Lay and other ones too. Yeah. Too. I also found out. I'm sorry. I'm going to be. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Uh, mm-hmm. Suleiman has long been favored by the U.S. government for his ardent as anti-Islamism, his willingness to talk and act tough on Iran, mm-hmm. and he has long been the CIA's main man in Cairo. Mubarak mm-hmm. knew that Suleiman would command an instant lobby of supporters at Langley, that's CIA headquarters, mm-hmm. and among Iran nexters in Washington, not to mention among other authoritarian uh, Muktaparak-dependent regimes in the region. Mm-hmm. Suleiman is a favorite of Israel, too. He held the Israeli uh, dossier and directed uh, Egypt's effort to crush Hamas by demolishing the tunnels that have functioned as a smuggling conduit for both weapons and foodstuffs in Gaza. Mm-hmm. According to a WikiLeaks U.S. diplomatic cable titled Presidential Succession in Egypt, dated May 14, 2007, it said Egyptian intelligence chief and Mubarak uh, consigliere in the past year, Solomon was often cited as likely to be named to the long vacant vice presidential post, which he was. Hmm. Mm -hmm. In the past two years, Solomon has stepped out of the shadows and allowed himself to be photographed in his meetings with foreign leaders reported. Many of our contacts believe that Solomon, because of his military background, would at least have to figure in any succession scenario. From 1993 until Saturday, Suleiman was chief of Egypt's General Intelligence Service. He remained largely in the shadows until 2001 when he started taking over powerful dossiers in the foreign ministry. He has since become a public figure, as the WikiLeaks document attests. In 2009, he was touted by the London Telegraph and foreign policy as the most powerful spook in the region, mm-hmm. topping even the head of Mossad. Mm-hmm. In the mid-1990s, Suleiman worked closely with the Clinton administration in devising and implementing its rendition program. Yeah, he back, was big on that. Back then, rendition involved kidnapping suspected terrorists and transferring them to a third country for trial. In the dark side, Jane Mayer describes how the rendition program began. Each rendition was authorized at the very top levels of both governments, U.S. and Egypt. The long-serving chief of the Egyptian Central Intelligence Agency, Omar Suleiman, negotiated directly with top CIA officials. 
Former U.S. Ambassador to Egypt Edward Walker described the Egyptian counterpart Suleiman as very bright, very realistic, adding that he was cognizant that there was a downside to some of the negative things that the Egyptians were engaged in, of torture and so on. But he was not squeamish, by the way. No, he's big Te- enough. Never yeah. mind. Technically, U.S. law required the CIA to seek assurances from Egypt that rendered uh, suspects wouldn't face torture. But under Suleiman's reign uh, at the Aegis, such assurances were considered close to worthless. As Michael Shower, a former CIA officer and head of the Al-Qaeda desk who helped set up the practice of rendition, mm-hmm. later testified, even if such assurances were written in indelible ink, they weren't worth a bucket of warm spit. <laughs> uh, under the and they didn't care, yeah, you know. Yeah. Under the Bush administration, in the context of the global war on terror, U.S. renditions became extraordinary, meaning the objective of the kidnapping and extra legal transfer was no longer to bring a suspect to trial, but rather for interrogation to seek actionable intelligence. It was to torture him. Right. The extraordinary rendition program landed some people in CIA black sites, mm-hmm. um, like the dark prison in Poland. Right. Right, and others were turned over for torture by proxy to other regimes. Mm-hmm. Egypt figured large as a torture destination of choice. You know what they did to the guy? I hate to keep interrupting you. Yeah, you are. I'm okay, sorry. They the the first the first World Trade Center bombing in '93, yeah. the blind shake. Yeah. You know how they got him to talk? He wouldn't say anything, so they packed him up, flew him to Egypt, and I believe it was Suleiman who was in charge. They yeah. put some put some runners through his hands and turned him over a spit on a fire. And that came out in court documents, and the uh, the judge says, this is despicable, but I'll let it stand. Well, technically, we didn't do it because we're a Christian Yeah, that was the whole thing. The FBI guy sat in the room and took notes. And we bear said, the image of Christ. this now. And yeah. he went, no, 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 Yeah, we bear the image of Christ. Um, okay, uh, at least one person extraordinarily rendered by the CIA to Egypt, Egyptian-born Australian citizen, Mabdu Habib was reportedly tortured by Suleiman himself. Mm-hmm. In October 2001, Habib was seized from a bus by Pakistani security forces. While detained in Pakistan at the behest of American agents, he was suspended from a hook and electrocuted repeatedly. He was then turned over to the CIA, and in the process of transporting him to Egypt, he endured the usual treatment. His clothes were cut off, and this is going to get gross, but people need to know this. Mm-hmm. A suppository was stuffed in his anus. He was put in a diaper and wrapped up like a spring roll. In Egypt, as Habib recounts in his memoir, My Story, The Tale of a Terrorist Who Wasn't, he was repeatedly subjected to electric shocks, immersed in water up to his nostrils, and beaten. His fingers were broken, and he was hung from metal hooks. At one point, his interrogator slapped him so hard that his blindfold was dislodged, revealing the identity of his tormentor, Suleiman. Mm. Horrible. Frustrated that Habib was not providing useful information or confessing to involvement in terrorism, Suleiman ordered a guard to murder a shackled prisoner in front of Habib, which he did with a vicious karate kick. In April 2002, after five months in Egypt, Habib was rendered to American custody at Bagram Prison, Afghanistan, and then transported to Guantanamo. He's getting the full tour here. Yeah. On January 11, 2005, the day before he was scheduled to be charged, Dana Priest of the Washington Post published an expose about Habib's torture. The U.S. government immediately announced that he would not be charged and would be repatriated to Australia. A far more so, you know, an innocent guy. Okay. Yeah. A far more infamous torture case in which Suleiman was also directly implicated 
is that of Ibn al-Sheikh al-Libi. I wonder if this is going to come yeah. up. Yeah. Unlike, unlike Habib, who was innocent of any task of terror or militancy, al-Libi was allegedly a trainer at the al-Khaldan camp in Afghanistan. He was captured by the Pakistanis while fleeing across the border in November 2001. He was sent to Bagram and questioned by the FBI. But the CIA wanted to take over, uh, which they did, and he was transported to a black site on the USS Bataan in the Arabian Sea, then extraordinarily rendered to Egypt. Under torture there, al-Libi confessed knowledge about an al-Qaeda-Saddam connection, claiming that two al-Qaeda operatives had received training in Iraq for use in chemical and biological weapons. In early 2003, this was exactly the kind of information the Bush administration was seeking to justify attacking Iraq and to persuade reluctant allies to go along. Indeed, al-Libi's confession was one of the central pieces of the evidence presented at the United Nations by then-Secretary of State Colin Powell to make the case for war. This was the stuff that our friend Colonel Wilkerson, mm-hmm. I'm sure, would, would have been putting together. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, that confession was a lie, tortured out of him by Egyptians. Here is how the former CIA chief, George Tennant, describes the whole al-Libi situation in his 2007 memoir, At the Center of the Storm. We believe that al-Libi was withholding critical threat information at the time, so we transferred him to a third country for further debriefing. Allegations were made that we did so knowing that he would be tortured, but this is false. The country in question, Egypt, understood and agreed that they would hold al-Libi for a limited period. In the course of questioning while he was in U.S. custody in Afghanistan, al-Libi made initial references to possible al-Qaeda training in Iraq. He offered up information that a militant known as Abu Abdullah had told him that at least three times between 97 and 2000, the now-deceased al-Qaeda leader Mohammed Atef had sent Abu Abdullah to Iraq to take training in poisons and mustard gas. Another senior al-Qaeda detainee told us that Mohammed Atef was interested in expanding al-Qaeda's ties to Iraq, which in our eyes added credibility to the reporting. Then shortly after the Iraq war got underway, al-Libi recanted his story. Now suddenly he was saying that there was no such cooperative training. Inside the CAA, there was sharp division on his recantation. It led us to recall his reporting, and here is where the mystery begins. Al-Libi's story will no doubt be that he decided to fabricate in order to get better treatment and avoid harsh punishment. He clearly lied. We just don't know when. Did he lie when he first said that Al-Qaeda members received training in Iraq, or did he lie when he said uh, they did not? In my mind, either case might still be true. Perhaps early on he was under pressure, assumed his interrogators already knew the story and sang away. After time passed and it was clear that he would not be harmed, he may have changed his story to cloud the minds of his captors. Mm-hmm. Al-Qaeda operatives are trained to do just that. A recantation would restore <laughs> his stature as someone who had successfully confounded the enemy. I'm sure torturing him had nothing to do with it. That's one thing that's not mentioned here. Yeah. The fact is we don't know which story he's is true so, since we so don't know. He's so devious. Like, he's so uh-huh. devious in like a criminal yeah. mastermind. And, and torturing, just like you know when, it, when they got all the Jews... You know, to confess and become Christians during the, uh, mm-hmm. the Inquisition. I'm mm-hmm. sure the torture had nothing to do with their confession. They probably just came around to, you know. What's funny, what's funny is that if they say they didn't torture him, well, then, you know, what about all this evidence to the contrary? And if they say, well, they did torture him, but, you know, he was just able to confuse us, you've just proven that torture really isn't working for you. Right, right. <laughs> it's so, like, nuts. Well, let, let me wrap up this story here. It says, yeah. Al-Libi was eventually sent off quietly to Libya, 
though he reportedly made a few other stops along the way where he was in prison. The use of Al-Libby's statement in the build-up to the Iraq War made him a huge American liability once it became clear that the reported Al-Qaeda-Saddam connection was a tortured lie. Mm. His whereabouts were, in fact, a secret for years until April 2009 when Human Rights Watch researchers investigating the treatment of Libyan prisoners encountered him in a courtyard of a prison. Two weeks later, on May 10th, Al-Libby was dead and the Gaddafi regime claimed it was a suicide. Oops. According to, yeah, you know, those guys who were against us, yep. you know, except that we have all of those Muslim leaders bought off by our mm-hmm. own intelligence. According to Evan Coleman, who enjoys favored status among U.S. officials as an al-Qaeda expert, sounding a classified source, Al-Libi's death coincided with the first visit by Egypt's spymaster Omar Suleiman to Tripoli. So that's where Suleiman comes back. Uh, Al-Libi died just just at the same time that Suleiman got there to Tripoli. He suddenly was dead. Uh, uh, Coleman surmises and opines that after Al-Libi recounted his story about an Al-Qaeda-Saddam-WDN connection, the Egyptians were embarrassed by that admission, and the Bush government found itself in hot water internationally. Then in May 2009, Omar Suleiman saw an opportunity to get even with Al-Libi and travel to Tripoli. By the time Omar Suleiman's plane left Tripoli, Al-Libi had committed, quote, suicide. As people in Egypt and around the world speculate about the fate of the Mubarak regime, one thing should be very clear. Omar Suleiman is not the man to bring democracy to the country. His hands are too dirty and any stability he might be imagined to bring to the country and the region comes at a way too high price. Hopefully the Egyptians who are thronging the streets and demanding a new era of freedom will make his removal from power part of their demands too. Which is sadly doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, and if I could just put a lap, wrap up a denim on this story... Here, I think there's a suggestion here that Gaddafi is in on this, too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's working with the U.S. intelligence people. We already knew Egypt was in our hip pocket. Mm-hmm. Our media has even admitted that mm-hmm. uh, for this thing. But if you get a chance to listen to Dr. Stan Monti's show on Radio Liberty uh, and hear Dennis Cuddy, it's always good to hear Dennis Cuddy on there. Yeah, man. He has talked about Muslim Brotherhood in there basically being set up by Western intelligence. Yeah, the C, the Muslim Brotherhood. I was going to mention that. I'm glad you brought that up. So the whole Hegelian dialectic, the whole thesis antithesis in the Middle yeah. East, has been set up by Western intelligence agencies anyway. Yeah. In a book called The Devil's Game, How the United States Helped Unleash Fundamentalist Islam by a guy named Robert Dreyfus, he alleges that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, was a CIA-supported enemy of Nasser. Which is interesting because uh, Nasser's yeah. Nasser's successor, of course, was Hosni Mubarak, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, heads a party that grew out directly of the Arab Socialist Union, mm-hmm. right? So the whole idea that the the Muslim Brotherhood like killed Nasser and is now yeah. making a comeback is is like hmm. Well, and, um, if, and if they did so, they were proxies for our intelligence agencies. Yeah. So the question comes for our evangelical brethren, almost who uniformly believe in the interventionist foreign policy mm-hmm. of the They're U.S. Like the Kirkpatrick doctrine is mentioned in some Bible verse somewhere. So, so the question comes, if you believe in intervention and in, in meddling in all these countries' activities, which side of the CIA and intelligence agencies do you want to take? Because they control all those sides. Mm-hmm. So if you want to intervene, which side do you want to fund and support? It's already been it's, it's already been a solution that's already been orchestrated by them. Mm-hmm. So if you want to put if we want to take our taxpayer money, if you want to use it all this kind of, to make us enemies with the peoples around the world, mm-hmm. you're going to end up funding the same people mm-hmm. who are orchestrating already have the game fixed already. Mm-hmm. 
I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, but this know, becomes more and more obvious. This is the lay of the land. When the only thing you can do is starve the beast and say, I don't want to play ball. I don't want, you know, and I'm, I'm not here to push political candidates, but the only one I hear, major figure, that recognizes this is Ron Paul. Yeah. Who says, we don't need to be funding any of these groups on yeah. any side. Let's cut it. Let's cut funding and down. And let's stay back like, here. You know. Now, the risk is... Piece. The risk is, is that if you don't play their game and start sending their stuff over, mm-hmm. they'll set up a terrorist attack here. Mm-hmm. They'll do it. They'll keep making it uncomfortable until you say, "Oh, we better send that money back over there to start, you know, get get these, you know, Blackwater type groups over there knocking heads, or, mm-hmm. or they're going to keep attacking us." They they threaten that, and it's like the, these quote botched terror attempts, mm-hmm. which we find are sting operations. Yeah. To me, I think they're shots across the bow to the American people. If you don't keep playing ball and sending the big budgets with all this money for us to use, mm-hmm. we we can make you have a terrorist problem. Mm-hmm. We can. They'll all be dudes wearing special forces uniforms, but well, but they'll they'll problem. put they'll put uh, headdresses on their yeah. heads and stuff Hi! like that. Yeah, they'll do that. They they know how Is to do right, the Arab. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just like the uh, in the Mumbai attack, you know, we had Mumbai FBI guys a double agent and the guy yeah. was a. You yeah, know, American Asian. The question time. comes: Which ones are not that story? Mm-hmm. Sure. Which ones do not have the people who are playing all the sides? That, I told, I, I, you know, it's funny, man. I sat down uh, working on this, working on this, uh, uh, this thing that I'm doing, you know, for the Politics of Religion yeah. Conference, uh, and I sat down and started listing things, and uh, uh, of all the terrorist attacks that were foiled that I could come up with, every single one of them had a tie to U.S. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just sitting down for like 20 minutes with a pen and paper. Yeah. Um, it's just it's ridiculous. They give us an a- enemy and who we can have our two minutes of hate mm-hmm. with, right? Yeah. Well, one thing that I've one thing that I've looked at um, in this whole thing has been the fact that uh, what's what's really what's really come to home to roost in the teens and the 20s and even up into the 30s. You know, you had this whole thing race theory where it was like, yeah. you know, white people are naturally mm-hmm. better than everybody else, so we the should Aryan. go conquer the world. You know, the yeah. Aryan yeah. blood and all this stuff, and that mm-hmm. was the that was the justification for you know taking over the Philippines and other places. Right. And, you and know, the Indians, everybody yeah, else yep. in our way. The Delanos. That was the justification for the Delano family smuggling all the opium in underneath mm-hmm. the uh, at you know at night into the harbor there in China. Mm-hmm. Um, right after World War II, it was this it was this crazy switch flip flop from that the racial theory which mm-hmm. uh, was you might say exposed perhaps from mm-hmm. you know to its logical conclusion with with Hitler uh it would flip flopped immediately into us versus the communists it was it was just this seamless sort of transfer and that's what's really fascinating in um uh, in Europe you had this thing called gladio which mm-hmm. I'm going to speak on you want to hear more about gladio come to uh the politics of religion conference uh, but in the southern cone states, which you had were uh, the CIA. Hey, let me ask you this. Yep. Um, the people who were on the leading front of of really scared everybody about mm-hmm. Bolsheviks and everything, which, mm-hmm. as we know, Bolshevism was really funded by Western banks. You can actually as trace far as, we, actually, as far as I know, yeah. They went, J.P. Morgan and others mm-hmm. were actually over there funding more of the Trotsky version. And I think yep. from what I can tell is that Stalin sort of betrayed them. Uh, chased out Trotsky, so it didn't work out quite like their uh, mm-hmm. their social, Fabian socialism they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So, so but the but the Nazis were the ones that really fine tuned the fear of the Bolsheviks attacking the world. That was their main thing of, mm-hmm. to justify their 
atrocities was that they, uh, they had like to it. stop the Bolsheviks. That was his biggest enemy, even more than the Jews were mm-hmm. the Russians. Um, since we took a lot of their people and they went into our, running our intelligence services, mm-hmm. running our Department of Defense and yeah. stuff like that, did, did that help? I mean, obviously they had a huge impact on Patton. Mm-hmm. Patton became more afraid of the Russians than he did the Germans. Mm-hmm. He was very sympathetic to the Nazis, mm-hmm. was scared of them, made good friends with some of the Russian generals, I mean the German generals and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that the Nazi influence? Is that what helped polarize the it's an interesting scare? It's an interesting question. I would say that, by the way, I'm not saying this to exonerate uh, communism is a horrible, godless thing. Sure, that people of course. Suffered millions it's just, of people. If you're going to make if you're going to make decisions, you might as well do it based on truth and knowing all the information. Um, you know, I don't I don't know. It seems like there were people who were already had already predecided that communism was the enemy. Um, as early as 1945, that was really sort of yeah. the uh, the thing. And I haven't seen anything that that shows that they really the they being the 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 Nazis mm-hmm. and the SS that we recruited for the various intelligence networks. Indeed, you know some some terrible people. A guy mm-hmm. named Reinhard Galen. Right. He's a bad bad guy. Right. You know he killed right. four million people in the name of getting good German intelligence. Right. On the Eastern Front, uh, we recruited. That's why we wanted to promote him. Yeah, we did. We we promoted him and protected him. Mm-hmm. Now, and let me clarify too. <clears throat> For all the tens of millions that Stalin killed, mm-hmm. and, and he will answer to that before a righteous God one day, uh, the the one who who put millions of Eastern Europeans under behind the Iron Curtain was um, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the one that actually drew up. They they actually have a copy of the map mm-hmm. that he drew up with the things handing over all those countries mm-hmm. to Stalin mm. at Yalta. Interesting. And we had a we had a president, you know, keeling over, you know, mm-hmm. that was that was dead on his feet and on our side. Yeah. And basically, Churchill was the one who submitted all the. So he went back later saying, "Oh, an iron curtain has fallen over Europe." Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it was an iron curtain he put in place. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's a um, boy. You're gonna like if you like all this stuff. You're gonna like the politics of religion stuff. So. Well, I know we're late. Uh, do you have another quick story? You I do. do? Um, the whole the whole thing that I was moving into is. Uh, in Europe, we set up these clandestine secret armies, but in the southern cone, that is South America and Latin America in general, uh, our thing was to really work through proxies and uh, uh, particularly take military leaders and run, this, run them through this thing called the School of the Americas. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think about that when I see this next headline. And it's Argentina seized undeclared weapons and drugs on U.S. military a- aircraft last week. This is via the AFP. You know that mean you mean like really like just recently last week. Yeah, like okay. February fifteenth. Okay. Um, which is today. Argentina. By the way, where did you get this from? Where's the story? Uh, the AFP. American Free Press. Yes. Okay. And that was uh, they say they got drugs off of uh, undeclared weapons and drugs on U.S. military aircraft last week. Okay. So this was this was reported today, but yeah. they got it last yeah, yeah, week. Yeah. Argentina and the United States are engaged in a diplomatic spat, you might say, after Buenos Aires authorities seized what they say are undeclared weapons and drugs on a U.S. military aircraft last week. The Argentine government on Monday said it planned to lodge a formal protest with Washington, while the U.S. State Department said it was puzzled and disturbed by the seizure of what, uh, seizure of what it claimed was routine equipment for training the Argentine federal police. Here's cocaine for training. <laughs> 
officials in Argentina said the U.S. Air Force C-17 transport plane was was searched and its cargo seized by customs officials on Thursday as at Azizia Air International Airport after arriving with experts and material for a hostage rescue training exercise. In a statement late Sunday, President Christina Kirchner's government said it would lodge a protest with Washington and ask it to cooperate in a probe into the Air Force's attempt to violate Argentine laws by bringing in hidden material in an official shipment. Argentina has said it seized sensitive material that has not been declared in a manifest submitted by the U.S. Embassy. Uh, and among the material seized, which the State Department makes no reference to, are the weapons to different drugs, are, are from weapons to different drugs, including various doses of morphine, uh, the Foreign Ministry said in Sunday's statement. State Department spokesman Philip Crowley said, We are puzzled and disturbed by the actions of Argentine officials, adding they conducted what he called an unusual and unannounced search of the aircraft's cargo. American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Why should people have any say in what we do around the world? In your in own country. in your own airport. Yeah, how dare you? We're America. Yeah, you don't understand. We, we got can the do biggest, whatever we want. Whatever we got we want. the biggest stick. You know. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's a party. Interesting. Uh, I, I if if I could go right before we go into our uh, emails, mm-hmm. can I can I just cleanse the palate a little bit with a real quick something? Yeah. And Give it's us something. And light. it's a good little break. Um. I know probably I've been seen by some of our listeners, not that I hear this so much, but, you know, been a little critical of the current state of Israel on some things we've been doing and Zionists and stuff like that. And some of our listeners uh, are, are very patient, like Marcy and others, with some of these things that are said. And I want to be fair because anti-Semitism is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's just people telling the truth the way they see it, but it's also very real. Mm-hmm. And it makes us manifest not only just anti-Semitism, but but bias against any people, be they Jews, Muslims, or whatever. But it makes its way into different um, fields that we're all interested in. And I'll give you a classic case of story I just got. You know who Zawi Hawass is, the head of antiquities for yeah, the Egyptian the government? big old dude who got financed by Edgar Casey. You know, uh, yeah, a lot of these folks, you know, we, we have our fellow in, people interested in prophecy, Bible prophecy, mm-hmm. always interested in what happens over there. What do they find in the pyramids and this and that and one of our interests about the ancient world, mysterious kind of thing. And Zawi Hawass is very controversial, you know, because he is the sort of the godfather of controlling all the digs. Oh, make, you, make yeah. you a deal. You can't he cut off a horse head, sit in your bed. <laughs> uh, cut off a horse head, put it in a pharaoh's chamber. Well, here's a little bit more that you need to know about him to know how he might be influenced on, on how he tackles these digs. It says, Zawi Hawass has always had a voracious appetite for media coverage. At the moment, though, he's had to enter damage control after two separate media interviews in which he made questionable comments about the Jewish people. Last month, he, he posted on his website a, quote, clarification of remarks on Jewish history, unquote, aimed at diffusing a growing controversy about remarks he made on Egyptian TV on February 11, 2009, including, quote, for 18 centuries they were dispersed throughout the world. They went to America and took control of its economy. <laughs> they have a plan. Although they are few in number, they control the entire world, unquote. <laughs> I don't, I don't see anything charged in that, do you? No, uh, what's the yeah. perfectly normal, yeah. perfectly natural? Yeah. His clarification of these remarks was that he had been misunderstood. What he was doing was contrasting, quote, the relative unity of the international Jewish community with the political fragmentation that we see amongst the Arabs, unquote. However, the controversy didn't abate. 
when further investigations uncovered other dubious comments made by the superstar of Egyptian archaeology in the newspaper El Shark Al Asat in January. He also said, the concept of killing women, children, and elderly people seems to run in the blood of Jews of Palestine. <laughs> in fact, it seems to have, that's very fair, you know. Unbiased. Um, yeah. yeah. In fact, you know, now this is a scientist that just the facts, okay? <laughs> he only believes hard facts, no, no opinion here. In fact, it seems to have become part of the false faith of this people who is tormenting us in our own homeland. When I speak of the Jewish faith, I do not mean their original faith, but the faith that they forged and contaminated with their poison, which is aimed against all of mankind. The only thing that the Jews have learned from history is methods of tyranny and torment, so much that they have become artists in this field. They have done to the Palestinians what Pharaoh and Sargon of Akkad did to the Jews. Just the facts. Yeah, that's just his <laughs> facts. Yesterday, Dr. Hawass uh, post... Now, now, he is always made fun of other people of being quacks, you know, of being like yeah. just demagogue people having agendas, you know, of their mm-hmm. own ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's his very fair and balanced views. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, Dr. Hawass pointed a, quote, further clarification of his remarks on his website, saying, quote, they were addressed to Middle Eastern readers and thus were written in a rhetorical style meant to communicate specifically with this audience. Now, that means what he's saying is, I don't want everybody to know what I really think. I, I like to appease the masses, but I don't oh, want everybody else. I want to goodness. have a different reputation. Okay. It says, to be fair, it is a common error when discussing these sensitive topics to mean a specific group of individuals, but in saying the words come across as generalizing about a complete population or culture. Though some of the comments are hard to rationalize away in that manner. It's also worth noting this 2002 article by Robert Boval, uh, who's famous in this area, Egyptologist, mm-hmm. on the very topic of Egyptology and anti-Semitism, which has other dubious comments about Jews from Zahi, as well as rather odd accusations toward Robert himself about being a, quote, a Jew. This probably stems from earlier tensions in Egypt with the Sphinx expedition involved John Anthony West and Boris Said, with the, quote, redating of the Sphinx, often being viewed by modern Egyptians as an attempt to steal their history. Boval exploits some of the some of these tensions and conspiracy theories in his book Secret Chamber, noting also that a later officially an- sanctioned Giza expedition by the Casey Edgar Casey Aligned Score Foundation proposed to wear the Star of David logo on their T-shirts, being the logo of John Shore's foundation. But you know that's got to really honk off Zawiyas. Uh, then add to those the involvement of people such as Lambert Dolphin and Giza Expedition over the years and the incidents such as the controversial gold capping of the Great Pyramid at the Millennium, echoing Masonic prophecies, and, and we're starting to get a bit lost in the Zionist, Masonic, Christian, fundamentalist, New Age conspiracy theories. So I thought in atmosphere being fair, I, I want to show some blatant anti-Semitism from someone who that's got to taint his decision-making. I don't and what he is, and he is like controlling all the Egyptology kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. And what a, what a, I hate to say this, but what an idiot! I know. You know, he's got this powerful position, and he's totally made himself to be a total fraud. Not that a lot of people in the field didn't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's. Just I can't explain. Like that's the sort of stuff that you see like in movies and jokes. You know, when somebody's making fun of... Or the kind of stupid ans- stuff you and I would do. Yeah. You know, like totally bonehead not thinking, which is sort of funny how it comes back, how you were being very gracious at the beginning of the show about saying something before you yeah. thought, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you don't do this stuff for a living. You don't get paid lots of money and have a staff mm-hmm. to go review. It's just you. Mm-hmm. You know, you do the best you can with the time you have. You spend every waking hour you have trying to understand what's going on, right? Pretty much. Okay, with that. And planting. So you got a guy like this who is spending, you know, he's got all these resources, and he's totally belying who he is. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I thought that's something, and, and that's a reminder for all of us. It's so nice. When we get it? information like, from people, and, on and we need to hear this too. Uh, understand the bias of everybody, even if they're a famous person mm-hmm. and supposedly a, quote, scientist and this kind of stuff. Let's mm-hmm. just keep reminding ourselves of that. And um, if any author can find information like this, uh, show more stuff so we can sort of bust people when we need to. Okay? Mm-hmm. But heaven forbid, don't all you all look at the stuff we write and bust us. That that would be too painful. Okay. <laughs> hey, would you like to have some emails to wrap up stuff? Yeah, hit me, man. Okay, here's some emails. Uh, need a lot of catching up to do. We're still in early January catch up. catching up. I like so. catch up. He, this is uh, another one from Maria, who's uh, emailed us occasionally. I find a lot of her emails interesting. So snag hers a lot. Uh, Maria says, uh, dear brother Doc, uh, as you requested, uh, you are in my prayers daily asking for discernment and spiritual protection. Whew, boy, we need that. Maria's hmm. doing prayer coverage for us, Tom. I try not to worry because uh, the day I read your email about that, I happened to open the Bible because we had asked for that uh, a while back. Mm-hmm. She says, the day after I read that, I happened to open the Bible at Psalm 91 and thought it was really for you. Yeah. There are so many beautiful Psalms, but if you are distressed, maybe reading this one will refresh your spirit, remembering that he, quote, will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most God, most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge shall come near your tent. Isn't that yep. awesome? I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Praise Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what we need to do, though, is that to, to stay in that covering, we got to make the Lord our refuge and the most higher dwelling place. So there you go. when we step out and do our own crazy stuff, yeah, we sometimes deserve what we get. So let's stay close to the Lord. She closed it by saying, I just downloaded your latest podcast, and I'm looking forward to it. It is like I'm going to meet with two friends at the coffee shop. Which is You've nice. got friends as weird as us? Well, it's nice since we're both drinking a cup of tea here while we yep. do the show. So, yep. perfect. Yep. Says, I don't wish to impose on your time, so uh, if possible, let us, your faithful listeners, know how you're doing during the podcast. Peace be with you, Maria. Awesome. Yeah. Every, everybody should have a friend like Maria. Okay, here's uh, Brother Wayne. Okay. Now, Wayne had sent me a video, Okay. And this video was on YouTube. And it says, now, it looked like, from what I could tell, some of his friends had forwarded it to him. And the title of the email that he sent, that was sent, uh, had an attachment to a YouTube video. And it said, this video just came out and it already has over 6 million hits. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I watched the video. And this was 6 million hits in 4 days, supposedly. And it was a, the ultimate flag-waving uh, video, you know, God is going to protect America. America's 
got its duty to the rest of the world, it's going to conquer the world. And it actually says in the document, this is the one I remember saying, it talks about um, God is protecting American exceptionalism. Wow. And so I give them credit for being upfront about it. I mean, they actually say it by name, American exceptionalism is what they're doing, which if you don't understand what that means, it means that we're better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that we're basically God's right-hand people. Yeah. That what we do is, by definition, his will. Yep. God and uses us as his sword or his olive branch or his nightstick or... Or his uh, um, water torture. Waterboard. Yeah, yep. waterboard. And he wants to waterboard people. Uh, and, and looking through the email chain that he forwarded to me, mm-hmm. uh, Brother Wayne had this response. Which you know it's tough when you have a lot of friends and everybody's all in one accord, and then you're the you're the you're yeah. the fifth wheel, and they're like, well, "Who invited this mm-hmm. guy?" You know, yeah, welcome and, uh, to my life. Right, exactly. Well, we're not alone, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne sent back uh, this email to his friends that says, "Pardon me for marching out of step, America, but these are my thoughts regarding the fine patriotic <laughs> video linked below, which presumes to challenge the God of this world without the blessing of the God of heaven." It says, "We will." We will, we will, and that's right out of the documentary. But it says, but will God? And he says, will God simply overlook America's mass slaughter of the innocents? Will God simply overlook America's placing perverts on a pedestal and demanding that we honor him? Will God simply overlook America's adultery and murder with, and witchcraft and sorcery? Will God simply overlook America's brutish devotion to vulgarity and crudeness and ugliness? Not without sincere nationwide repentance. No, he will not. Is America repenting? Listen. Do you hear America repenting? National patriotism without godly reverence is utterly vain and counts for nothing. Christ, Christ, wow. Christless, like laying it out. Yeah. Christless patriotism is worship of the state and of self and of liberty without justice. It says, God, America, bless God or perish. The die has been cast. Okay. And uh, my <laughs> my response to him on this was... Amen to your comments, Brother Wayne. There are many points of which I agree with the documentary narrator, but the glorification of our military might and isolated blaming of Obama, who deserves his share, are red flags. I noticed that they never mentioned the Democratic and Republican leadership endorsement of the banker bailouts under Bush or loss of liberties via the Patriot Act under Bush, etc. When they mention American exceptionalism at the end, that is a giveaway. It is a euphemism for America as idol. Your point about the lack of Christian remorse over our spiritual condition, for which the American people ourselves are primarily to blame, is also absent. And any true humility and calls for spiritual repentance by all. Those who have, quote, itching ears, millions of them, love this stuff, like this documentary. Thank you for having eyes to see and making your voice known as a voice crying in the wilderness. Well, that was my response to him. Wow, man. And, uh, I give that guy, I give that guy kudos, and I give you kudos well, too. Well, thanks. That. Well, that's how cool the listeners we have. And Brother Wayne responded back. He says, still faithfully listening to you and Tom every week by webcast, dear brother. You two make me smile a lot during my work day. Love you mm-hmm. both a bunch. So, We're awesome. That's Brother Wayne, also known as the Waniac in Wayne's Arkansas. World. Wayne's World. So that's the Waniac. And, Getting uh, off American exceptionalism bus. Wayne's World. I'm sure he appreciates <laughs> the world. song. Wayne's <laughs> World. 
You know, somebody named the Wainiac, me. Our own friending him. <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth? Join yeah, the club. Yeah. Uh, can I read one from our friend Cindy, who's another close friend of our show? Roll tape. Okay. This is the subject is our military-infused religion. Dr. Future and Tom, blessings. I appreciate so much your willingness to swim against the, quote, pro-military mindset of the American church. Believe me, this entire discussion has been painful. Believe me, I know that too, Sister Cindy. Uh, I worked for the military for 16 years and developed stuff for the warfighter, I know. She says, I am the daughter of a career naval officer, a graduate of Annapolis, no less. Further, my youngest son was zealously pursued by the Naval Academy. I was born into and raised in the military life. I loved it. It colored my entire worldview, I must admit now. Once I was willing to examine closely my long-held beliefs, I realized just how much the military and patriotic influences have defined the American church. Conversations with my friends, those I have left anyway, that I have left, are often frustrating. Hmm. I was successful, however, in a recent discussion with my mom. I remarked on the overt patriotic themes in many mainstream churches and the fact that they really have no place there. She, of course, disagreed strongly. You know, we're a Christian country. I'm sure you've never heard that, Tom, have you? Are you a Christian I have, friends? I have made more enemies <laughs> yeah. trying to uh, dispute that with people. I replied that I doubted very much that Paul, even though a citizen of Rome, would have insisted upon having the Roman standard displayed in the gatherings of the faithful. This stumped her. That's a good one. Yeah. She said, this stumped her. Isn't the overt veneration of our, quote, founding fathers, she says, I hate that term, by the way, as the scripture tells us to call no man father, isn't really just, isn't our veneration of the founding fathers really just a form of ancestor worship? Another interesting point. Whoa. She says, I love the new format. I could listen to the two of you talk for hours because I know that many of the faithful are hearing this information for the first time. My prayers are with you both. God bless you both, Cindy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sister Cindy, thanks for answering to us. And I want to tell our listeners, too, um, what she says that she hopes people are hearing it for the first time. Um, the, the purpose we were on that other radio station uh, was that hopefully people would inadvertently turn on the dial listening for normal evangelical talk and instead get us mm-hmm. on there. And um, since we're not on there now, the one way we're going to reach new people and not just preach to the choir is if you all are going to pass the word about Future Quake. Yeah. And it's if you'll go, be either completely organic or send it out in your emails. Tell about Future Quake. Um, reference certain shows that were important to you on message boards. Do something if you want to reach. Um, can I have one more and we can call it a day? Yeah, man. Okay. Here is uh, okay. This is Tyler. And I'm not going to give his email address, but he has a really cool email address. But um, Oh, this is sort of a deep one to sort of end with. But I, I'll, uh, I've already started it, so I'll get going mm-hmm. with this. If you have any comments, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Okay, Tyler says, Hello, Dr. Future. Love your podcast and greatly respect your opinion. The first question I have for you, are demons just disembodied spirits of fallen angelic beings? He says, I'm going to ramble on a bit here. As I understand it, God created angels, man, and animals. I believe that Satan has, since the beginning of the rebellion, manipulated God's creation genetically in an attempt to, one, prevent the birth of the Messiah, two, create the Antichrist, and three, to generally pervert and deceive God's creation as much as possible. I believe that's where the creatures and gods of mythology and most aliens came from. Am I missing something here? Any advice, personal opinions on these matters? 
he says, um, keep fighting the good fight. Well, I know less about this than you do, okay? I mean, Tom, so I want you to, I just wrote a simple thing, and I was trying to give something very brief, okay? Um, I said, Brother Tyler, it's great to meet you. It says, if you've listened to our show archives over the years, you'll notice that our guests, and we in general concur with your assessments. Many hypotheses exist for the origin of demons, including the spirits of destroyed Nephilim and the flood. Mm-hmm. George Pember, one of my favorite theologians. That was actually the Orthodox rabbinical tradition. Is that right? Jesus, yeah. Okay. Um, I believe. I, I could be. I could have that totally wrong, but I'm almost oh, that's good I, I'm 90% sure that's right. Okay. George Pember, one of my favorite theologians, in the 19th century speculated that demons were the spirits of a pre-Adamic race, mm-hmm. indicated between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 and elsewhere, who followed Satan and were judged. Both explanations seem plausible to me because both spirit types once inhabited physical bodies and could be understood as wanting to re-inhabit them, as we know demons want to do. However, angels and other heavenly spirit powers, to my knowledge, do not seek to permanently inhabit physical bodies, albeit angels seem to be able to make their own super-physical form at will. Uh, Sometimes we even entertain them, according to the Bible. For now, I am keeping my mind open to all possible explanations for the origin of demons. Regarding the Antichrist, I am not certain if he is constructed from scratch by Satan himself, but I'm now doing some research that he and possibly his predecessor Nimrod may have been genetically altered to fulfill the role as the beast and as a possible vessel for the embodied spirit of Antichrist. Mm. I do sense that Satan has been involved in all these human modification things to stymie the attempts of the seed of the woman, to the kinsman redeemer uh, in Christ and to crush his head. I also believe it's possible this work before the flood made animal-human monsters possible and hence further necessitating God's destruction, which would explain the legacy of man's remembrance of these figures and their myths from the distant past or reminded uh, to them by Satan's spiritual minions. Hmm. And I said, uh, thank you for your thoughts. Now, when I'm saying these, I'm not dogmatic on this. I'm just saying I'm open yeah. to these as possibilities. Yeah, Do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, a whole ton, but we don't have two hours. Okay, yeah. okay. That's a deep topic. Sorry I ended on a on an intense one. Mm-hmm. But... Um, those were some thoughts I had. If people start emailing me, I'll have lots more questions like that to answer because I'm limited in my knowledge. But we will know one day when we won't see through this mirror darkly. Well, yet face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Somebody else we can see face-to-face is Merv. Because he's a disembodied head. Well, that's part <laughs> of it. And also he can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Yep. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of the road, buddy. Word to the mother. Any last word for people until we we'll see them next week? Um, man, come to the Politics of Religion conference. I'm fired up. How about pray for us at the NRB? Oh, my gosh. With yeah, us there or wherever they yeah, are. Yeah, come on down, Paul in Texas, uh, uh, Brother Johnny out there in Portland, mm-hmm. uh, all you folks out there in Arkansas on all of our friends. You people up there in Southern California, just, we got ourselves a convoy rolling through the night. You could be a hobo. Just go hop on a train yeah. and ride them to wherever, that. you know. Have you been a hobo? Yeah. Okay. 
Only for like a couple hours. Is that how you got to the studio tonight? <laughs> uh, no, seriously. Uh, if you if if you can and you can be there with us to pray on on Saturday, mm-hmm. February twenty sixth, we'd love to have you. If not, if you can pray at that time, mm-hmm. we don't have the answers. God has the answers. Mm-hmm. All these supernatural intervention is going to solve. You know, all the stuff we talk about on the show makes it sound overwhelming. Mm-hmm. That uh, we we know the Lord will win in the long haul. Mm-hmm. We know also that when it becomes the last days, things are going to get bad before they get better. Mm-hmm. But we don't know when that exactly starting. And in the meantime, God has work for us to do. Mm-hmm. And just like in Psalm eighty four, it says, "When the pilgrims go through the desert, they make it a place of springs." Mm-hmm. And which, which by the way, is my favorite chapter in the Bible, Psalm eighty four. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our job in the meantime until He calls us home. Uh, for the last pilgrimage, we need to make a place of springs in America and anywhere else the Lord plants us. Uh, and so let's keep praying that we can get that job done. So until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Ciao. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.